Welcome. This is Craig Applegath, and this is the 21st Century Imperative Podcast, the podcast series that explores the insights and approaches of scientists, designers, planners, engineers, business entrepreneurs, and other successful change makers who are finding effective ways to meet the three critical challenges posed by the 21st Century Imperative. These are how will we continue to live on our planet without destroying our biosphere? How will we repair and regenerate the environmental damage we have already caused? And how will we adapt to the escalating impacts of climate change? Each episode will feature an interview with an individual whom I think you will find not only inspiring, but also very relevant to helping you answer the question, what can I do to meet the challenges of the 21st century imperative? The first time I met Taylor, I was immediately impressed by both his quick wit and his wide range of interests. What was supposed to be a quick introductory lunch turned into a two-hour conversation. And our conversation ranged from the story of how he started his business of developing a highly innovative and environmentally smart permeable paving system, to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, to how to plan smart green cities, to surfing techniques, high-intensity training, and the effectiveness of various nootropic supplements, and to his underpinning business philosophy of conscious capitalism. And I don't think I've had a conversation since with Taylor that has been any less interesting or wide-ranging. Taylor is an experienced entrepreneur and innovator with an established track record for creating and bringing new products to market. As early as grade 11, he started an e-commerce store during his CompTech class. And then, while studying neuroscience at Dalhousie University, he began designing and selling cognitive nootropic supplements, as well as launching an asphalt maintenance company to pay back his student debt. Early in his career, Taylor used software, digital strategies, and his experience in contract manufacturing to create new asphalt maintenance and paving products. He joined Shopify as employee 132 in 2013 to test drive the nine to five work week, but was drawn back to innovating in his own businesses. In 2018, he became accredited for scientific research and development in green infrastructure technology and is a funded NRC IRAP scientist. Taylor is currently the CEO of Pure Pave Technologies and the president of Smart Green Cities Incorporated. Endlessly curious, fascinated by the power of new technologies and the transformative influence of the internet, Taylor is passionate about advancing material sciences and software that improve the environmental quality of cities and reduce the escalating impacts of climate change. Apart from the fact that Taylor is such an interesting person and successful entrepreneur, I wanted to interview Taylor because of his passion for harnessing business as an engine to combat climate change. Indeed, if our species is actually going to be able to pull back from the brink of climate disaster, not only will we need to have scientists and policymakers providing solutions, but we will need to enlist the energy and resources of the commercial world. Here, I think Taylor is a great role model. In today's podcast, we explore his philosophy of conscious capitalism, where good ideas come from, important lessons from his experience starting and leading a company manufacturing a stormwater and flooding mitigation system, and what he thinks are the greatest opportunities for moving the needle on addressing the challenges of climate change. We also talk about Taylor's plans for launching a new podcast, what gives Taylor hope and keeps him going when things look dark, and what advice he would have for listeners about what they can do to be part of making a difference in meeting the challenges of the 21st century imperative. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Taylor. Hey, Craig. Great to be here, man. 
Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, it's such a pleasure. We've had a number of conversations before, but more formally, in the introduction to this episode, I provided our listeners with a brief biography of your career to date. Clearly, you are a passionate about sustainability and sustainable business. So why don't we start off by talking about when your interest in sustainability and entrepreneurialism emerged and how it grew to become your career? Yeah, sure, Craig. I mean, to, to answer the second question, I suppose I should start with the first. As an entrepreneur, I think that I'm one of those strange people where this is in my blood in a way, because as far back as I can ever remember, I was one of these kids that <laughs> was trying to sell things. You know, I started a door-to-door shovel your driveway business when I was like seven years old. Uh, one of my but best did, Wait friends, a minute, wait a minute. Didn't the people say, seven years old, I'm not sure this is going to work? Oh, yeah, they did, of course. Or they, they just said, like, oh, let the kid try. Well, they thought it was hilarious. So, <laughs> you know, they, they kind of just let you do your thing. Yeah. And I remember the, that was the first time somebody slid a, a fancy $20 bill across the table to me, and I could not believe my eyes. <laughs> it was a great feeling. And um, I was doing weird stuff, too. Like, one of my best friends moved in on the same street as I, and they had a ton of boxes in the house, right? So naturally, eight-year-old kids are going to make forts. Yeah. Well, we made a fort so cool that we're trying to charge every kid in the neighborhood a 50 cent fee or something to go through this little fort, right? You are so, such an entrepreneur. <laughs> this is this is so in your DNA. Yeah, right? Like when I analyze your question, I'm going back and I'm seeing myself do all these weird things. And um, I guess that leads us to where we are today. But uh, all the stuff in between, it's kind of interesting as well, I suppose. Going from being a little kid, Going to middle school, I was also selling everything that I could think of aside from drugs, basically. <laughs> I had uh, the opportunity to go to Florida with my parents when I was 12 years old or whatever it was, and I bought a whole bunch of fireworks from the corner store. And unbeknownst to my parents, I stuffed them in their suitcase on the way home. Oh took, my goodness. Took those to school and sold oh, we, them. Oh, to, you got them across the border. <laughs> well, they, my parents had no idea, so <laughs> they... Uh, they smuggled fireworks. Wait a minute. For me. Wait, what? What? What grade was this in? This is. This would be grade seven. We could just do a podcast on you and like um, you know public school, and high school. <laughs> oh yeah, like actually this this public school in general is. Um, you would not believe this place. So the fireworks fit in really well. And yep. today I have a bunch of entrepreneurial friends who also went to this school, so we get a great kick out of talking about how crazy it was, how it helped us in our formative years, perhaps. Yep. But, um, you know, I went on to sell these things to all these kids and um, people kind of think of selling as like taking money from somebody. But really, even when you're young, you start to realize it's, it's just the, the opportunity to deliver value to somebody and come up with ways to do that, right? So I think that began to, to become sort of like a game for me and it was, it was pretty fun. Carried that into high school and another cool anecdote, I started a... Uh, an e-commerce company, or I didn't really think of it as a company, just sort of selling things online out of my communications technology class. You and mean you're like in class supposed to be learning about dry old technology and you decided to start a, like an online shop? Yeah, I was one of these guys who, you know, as soon as I learned something that I thought was useful, stopped listening to the teacher and jumped online <laughs> and just tried to apply the, the, the brand new Photoshop skills as quickly as possible. 
And I had designed sort of a, a pretty layout for selling Lacoste polos online. So this little website called iOffer that eventually got bought by eBay ended up being my platform. Cool. So where did sustainability come in? Good question. Um, leading from high school, we go to university, study neuroscience. I start designing cognitive nootropic supplements to sort of use and apply that that new knowledge um but the tuition craig is outrageous right it's it's very expensive and you know selling these little things here and there t-shirts whatever i could get my hands on wasn't going to cut it so i i got a job at a property maintenance company in, in my first year in university and it was an asphalt maintenance company and i did really well there and started making tons of money per day and realized all i had to do was buy this equipment and launch a website. So I did that and sort of just taking advantage of early techniques in, in terms of SEO and websites in general back in 2007 led to some pretty interesting advantages as a teen starting a business. And that sort of helped grow this company a lot faster than I ever expected. So that was just like putting asphalt down or spraying tar on existing driveways or like in the middle of summer, the hottest, yeah. meanest job you could find. Exactly. Just the worst thing ever. It's just <laughs> straight up torture. Actually, it's, I got all, almost all the clients in the early days door to door while this website starts ranking on Google. Right. And in between selling door to door, you're also spraying hot liquid asphalt. And it's yeah. just like, doesn't feel good. It's just, but you are learning. So you keep doing it, right? You feel like what you're doing is going to be good for you eventually. Yeah. So it involves hot asphalt, all that stuff. Um, we start to gain some advantages and that company grows, but it's only a, it's only a six month of the year occupation, right? So I liked this because boy, it created a lot of free time for me to learn all these things that I was actually interested in, <laughs> you know, um, not that I wasn't, I wasn't very interested in spraying liquid asphalt. It's just sort of a means to commerce. Right. So naturally, if you, if you do want to grow that company and it starts gaining traction and you just extrapolate, where do I end up going in the future? If I just stay focused on this business, well, it's a crowded business, right? And the way that you sell asphalt pavement is, my great grandfather started this company 40 years ago. We're taking over. We've done it the same way forever. We're going to do it perfect. And I don't like anything about <laughs> that mindset. And also you can't say that. You're the new kid yeah. on the block. Literally, yeah, exactly. literally the exactly. new kid. Yeah, there's absolutely no way I'm going to compete with that, right? Yeah. So I can get exposure and through the internet and I can impress people in different ways where you know, you you share knowledge with somebody who's uh, works in tech back then and they like you and they want to hire you for that and so you start to realize okay there, there's other ways that i can attract business within this industry and I, I wanted to keep growing that company because it freed up so much time for the rest of the year that i could learn everything else that i wanted with that i started to look into how i could gain advantages in that very busy marketplace and from contract manufacturing experience that i had in university with nutrition supplements I started to, in a way, apply that to this very crowded market and start to ask these scientists and suppliers to modify ingredients and make something special for our company so we could start promoting that we are actually using something better, something different. 
And that led us to the point where we created a specialty paving company that just continuously evolved. And we followed market demand for what our customers wanted and introduced new little advantages here and there, all the way to the point where one of our clients ended up being a customer who lived in an area of a sensitive watershed. And she wouldn't be able to do a renovation or extend her driveway. I can't remember what the reason was if she didn't have a permeable surface. And that was just something that stuck in my mind throughout the, the years in between where I was like, wow, there's a whole neighborhood where they can't even get a renovation, even though they own the house, they can't do what they want because they don't have a permeable surface. And so naturally, since that's in my industry, you look into why and you start to learn about stormwater runoff and sensitive watersheds and the consequences. And maybe at that time, I wasn't necessarily capable of taking full advantage of exploring that, but it nonetheless stayed in the back of my mind for a couple more years until we got to the point of being able to do R&D at the, at the NRC level where we ended up creating something new and really cool in pure pave technologies. So the sustainability piece evolved out of starting to understand that your product could all of a sudden be something that contributed, like it could be a player in making a neighborhood more sustainable. Yeah, like that was sort of the dream because if I go back to where my mind was at that time, I was able to get to the point where I was a self-sustaining entrepreneur relatively quickly in life. And that was in the beginning just the ultimate goal. Like if I could work for myself and then also have free time, that felt like the best thing ever. That's because I was going door to door and kind of struggling and it's a grind and you're in the survival mindset because, you know, you, you just continuously have to get more money to keep going and this and that. But once you become self-sustaining, you kind of think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid, your basic needs are met. Then you get to the point where you have more and more free time and you can kind of extrapolate, okay, where does this all go if I just continue down the path of paving? Maybe you extrapolate as far as imagining yourself on your deathbed even and thinking, okay, what did I do with my life? <laughs> you know, I applied all of my intellectual capital, free time, interest to paving. <laughs> you know, it's not that cool. It's not, I didn't really change anything. It's didn't feel like that was aligned with who I was as a person. So the opportunity all of a sudden in the ability to explore something that could help solve a problem in the realm of sustainability sort of just blew my mind. And I wanted to take advantage of that and just see what we could do. And it also made me think, why am I the person who's exploring this? Like, where's all the permeable pavements? Why can't this lady get something that is going to do the job? You know, so there's, there's two curiosities there that sort of lingered for a while while I did other things in the off time in the winter, like work at Shopify and stuff like um, teambuy.ca and, and sort of chase my, my real passions in software and, um, and, and techno, new technologies. So the two intersections of permeable pavement, sustainability, and software were the two worlds that I played in during that time. So in that company, which was Pure Pave evolved into your most recent version of it or the, the expansion of it, 
which yeah. is Smart Green Cities. Yeah, Smart Green Cities is a network with the goal of proliferating climate tech solutions, taking cities from dumb and gray to smart and green. And the way that we do that is by helping contractors onboard new technologies that they otherwise wouldn't have learned about and provide them with software tools that help them service clients in a way that they wouldn't have the opportunity to do so because they would otherwise be focused on what they're already doing, <laughs> selling pavement perhaps or interlock bricks. By the way, that's a great phrase, dumb and gray to smart and green. That's, that's worth capturing somewhere. So I think it's worth talking some more about your current business model, the Smart Green Cities and Pure Pave, and how you've turned a very basic red ocean paving business into a highly sustainable blue ocean flood mitigation and circular economy business. Yeah. Um, okay. And we should probably describe yeah. what that red ocean, blue ocean thing means. True, true. So a red ocean is red in my mind because it's filled with sharks who have been there for a very long time and they've all taken bites and at blood. each other. <laughs> and so it's just blood everywhere. It's, a, it's a, a rough place to be, super crowded. And so the blue ocean only comes when, say, a baby shark, for survival purposes, is forced to evolve or lest he be eaten alive. And he maybe evolves little limbs, climbs out of that red ocean and makes his way over to the next pond, which happens to be completely empty. And so it's blue because you're the only fish in there and all the opportunity is yours for the taking. Yep. So the analogy with the sharks, obviously the evolution is in creating a market advantage for yourself to completely separate yourself from everyone else who's in the red ocean doing the same thing. The blue ocean, you now are in a completely different ball game where perhaps what you're offering now solves a multitude of problems and creates a whole bunch of value offerings bundled into one solution. Yeah, I, I, one of the reasons I wanted you on the podcast was my business as an architect and urban designer obviously intersects with having to deal with pavement services and so forth. And I hadn't met anyone that was being able to provide up a service and a product that understood all of those things wrapped up in one. So that that's the blue ocean. It's just, it's completely wide open. And extending that a bit, what you've just described is very consistent with what you've told me in our previous conversations about your practice of conscious capitalism, the philosophy of using business to elevate humanity, improve the environment and drive change in the world. Why don't you expand on that a bit? Yeah. I mean, I think that when I touched on what happens just to just at the individual level where you get to a, a satisfying place in your life and job where you're self-sustaining. You can kind of go to the point where you're thinking about how else am I going to add value to the world beyond just taking things for myself or growing a business that is pumping carbon and tar everywhere. And so conscious capitalism to me is how do I create value for at the, the primary level where you're providing just a basic solution in something to park your car on? How do I provide a secondary level of value where this pavement now has utility in that it's able to prevent all the water from running off of uh, an entire property and make it a net zero runoff system? But then another level of value where it's visually stunning, so it has a unique appeal. And going back to the blue ocean, I kind of thought of pure pave as a purple cow swimming inside of a blue ocean. <laughs> 
purple cow being something you can't it walk mixed, past. Mixed metaphors plus. I, I, I've mixed the two together, Craig, because I feel it's appropriate. Because when you walk past one of these things, you're gonna people stop their cars, they slam on their brakes when the guys are building them, they get out. And they go, what the heck is this? Yeah. Because they've never seen anything like it. So you're creating value on multitudes of levels. Yeah. And the net result is a closed loop. So where paving emits all the carbon into the air and creates a whole bunch of issues for the climate, now we've got a system that can provide a whole bunch of solutions for the climate, the customer, and the contractors as well. And so everybody benefits and you have sort of a win-win-win and, and the materials of it, it's a circular economy, right? Because you can use the materials to make that from waste materials and that it, it itself can be broken up and used again, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So we can, we're capable of recycling, say, rubber, uh, granite countertops is the latest one. It's really cool. Right, of course, from, from renovations. Yeah, yes. We are. Yeah, t- 10 years of people with condos wanting new granite tops because their old ones aren't nice enough. Like, oh, wow. That's it. You know what they <laughs> oh, otherwise man. do with those? They oh, just man. throw them in a landfill. I know, I know. It's just obscene. So we, we take those, we crush it, we put crushed glass, we got Sky Vodka bottles in the mix, a whole bunch of cool stuff. But something that you'll like is the fact that Pure Pave's net carbon is eight times lower than, say, concrete bricks, asphalt, or concrete itself because Pure Pave isn't baking in an oven all day in a huge smokestack. That's not how it's made. We're just taking regular aggregates taking a plant-based binding agent polyurethane and blending the two so we blend the two on site so there's no need for a huge silo and smoke also it's embodied carbon is lower because of its life cycle being longer life right so that you don't have to replace it as often as you would asphalt or or right concrete right exactly and um just to answer your actual question um (laughs) I thought you had, but anyway, go on. (laughs) Yeah, let me get back to conscious capitalism. One of the things I did with my time off was a lot of traveling. And in the same year, back in 2014, I went to Costa Rica and Thailand. And so I got to see firsthand the effects of a very polluted country and what it's like to live in a country that runs entirely off sustainable energy where everybody is in that basically embodies the conscious capitalism Th- mindset. Thailand being the polluted one and Costa Rica being the correct yeah. yeah in Thailand unfortunately you can't swim in the ocean really without going through a plastic bag or two hmm. and um, you can't watch a sunset without it falling behind a cloud of smog so it's kind of sad Costa Rica on the other hand you have the whole community living that Pura Vida lifestyle going to the beach at 4 p.m. the entire town shuts down Nobody's in a store because everyone and their dog is on the beach. And when everyone and their dog leaves the beach, they take any plastic that they happen to see with them. Mm. So this place is immaculate, right? And I didn't just go there on vacation. I lived there for months. And when you come back to the Western world, you see things differently. And um, you kind of long for that uh, same lifestyle that you had a, a good taste of down there. And but nonetheless, conscious capitalism, the idea that you want to help make the environment better in whatever way you possibly can stays within your mind. It becomes a part of you. This is also where that picture you sent me of you surfing comes from. That's right. Yeah. 
What a beautiful yeah, I learned place. to surf down there. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Stephen Johnson, as we've talked about before in his wonderful book, Where Good Ideas Come From, talks about the adjacent possible, the idea that innovation and invention builds upon the foundation of the ideas that surround the inventor at the time. Does the notion of the adjacent possible have any resonance for you? Um, and does it inform what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. This is this is what brings me excitement every day. It's it's what basically what comes what opportunities come about as a result of you effectively harnessing the first opportunity. To me, it feels like game theory in a way, where say you visualize a pyramid and the full structure of the pyramid is currently invisible. You're just focusing on the very top brick, that first triangle, right? The first triangle represents the fir- very first opportunity that comes your way. Maybe it's door-to-door liquid asphalt sales. Right? If you're effective in harnessing that opportunity, all of a sudden, you pop out two more bricks. And if you're then capable of jumping on those opportunities, uh, often at the same time, <laughs> if you're able to do both at once and also not lead yourself astray, like these have to be linked together, they have to be related. If you're able to capitalize on the new opportunities that came about as a result of the first, all of a sudden, now you have four more opportunities on the horizon. And but you couldn't have gotten to those unless you started with that first one. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so you don't be deterred by something that seems like it sucks because you never know where that's going to lead you. And that is something that while you're going door to door, it's something that sucks. It felt similar to a wrestling match where it's incredibly painful and and really sucks and you want to stop, but you know it's good for you to so keep doing it. And now looking at this concept, you go all the way down to what we have today in our business system and how it's able to help contractors, homeowners, and the environment all at once. And I think it's entirely as a result of the adjacent possible. Yeah, and I think the pure pave ecological pavement system you created is a great example of, of driving environmental change and exploiting the adjacent possible. Why don't you tell listeners a little more about how the product actually works and how it isn't an environmental game changer? You've talked a bit about it, but maybe you should expand a bit. Yeah, how pure pave works. If you just think of pavement down to its first principles, what is it made of? It really all pavements are just rocks and a binder of some sort. So asphalt is rocks, sand, and tar or asphalt bitumen. Pure pave is very pretty rocks and a proprietary polyurethane-based binding agent that has recycled plant matter in it. So when you remove the sand from an asphalt or concrete surface, all of a sudden the larger rocks that are touching each other all create millions of tiny little pockets of air that if you were to pour water on allows that water to permeate right through the pavement instantly the problem with canadian winters in general is that you don't have a you don't typically have a binder binding agent strong enough without that sand when you remove all the fine particulates from a pavement surface or pavement structure it renders that structure structurally void of strength so you need to have a binding agent that behaves way differently from everything that came before it. And that was the challenge and the opportunity that we faced in developing the pure pave system. Overall, after all of our testing, we ended up with a 
system that is the first pavement ever tested to show zero strength loss after 40 freeze-thaw cycles after filling these bricks with water and subjecting them to negative 40 and plus 30 room temperature over and over to ASTM standard. So what that does for us in terms of sustainability is it opens the door now finally in Canada where you can have a flood mitigation strategies developed by the cities. You can have you can eliminate stormwater runoff entirely from individual properties, capturing rain where it lands instead of sending it into the storm sewers um, that often reach capacity and occasionally flood. Like downtown Toronto two years ago, I think was flooded up to your waist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy, right? Um, it's disgusting when those flood, but it's also a result of the capacity for the stormwater sewers are met. Like there's a, you can't send any more water into these systems. We've developed way beyond the stormwater infrastructure. I, I think one of the things that really excited me about when I saw its, its sort of uh, functional profile was that there's going to be so much more, uh, greater frequency and intensity of st- severe storm events and microbursts all at once. It can literally wash out an asphalt pavement system really fast because of its intensity that this will actually allow very, very quickly the dissipation to happen so you don't have that immediate flood happening right. because it's just literally going into the ground. I don't think people realize how powerful these storm events are going to be and, and how they uh, tear up our, our surface infrastructure. So I think this has certainly got a real, real potential. Yeah, the, the, the frequency of these events are going to increase, the intensity is going to increase, and all the current systems were built for uh, a time when development wasn't nearly at the rate that it is now. So more and more ground is being sealed up. Makes sense to allow the water to percolate back into the ground. Pulling up a few thousand feet, um, what are the most important lessons you've learned from being the founder and CEO of your own ecologically focused company about how to increase both awareness of the key issues related to climate change, but also how to design to limit it and to adapt to it? Hmm. Um, to me, that's a human problem, which makes it an incentive problem. As CEO, of course, one of the biggest problems to solve is how to align everyone within your organization with the vision and mission of the company. Typically, this is called the principal agent problem. We try to find people, of course, who right out of the gate are interested in sustainability. But of course, we have to take action on our side to structure the business in a way so that they have outlets to to enable themselves to get aligned with the concepts of helping sustainability in a mass way through the business system that we offer. So instead of just coming to work every day and clocking out and you know cashing in your paycheck, think of how the business itself can evolve over time and contribute to being involved with the overarching mission of helping the environment become a better place over time. I think that's something that is one of the hardest things to do as CEO of this company. And if you look at the cities and countries even as sort of large operating businesses, you could almost look at them in a similar manner where how do we change the behavior of everybody in these cities in a way that we can kind of incentivize them to take climate positive action, even though they're so busy and otherwise they're just going to work every day. Um, so that's an interesting problem to, to think about 
So what do you think are the limitations to driving that kind of social change through business and market transformation? Well, there's, there's currently a thing going on where people's mindsets are conditioned, I think, to look backwards and sort of look at the way things were. Um, you brought up the willful blindness on one of your podcasts, and I think it comes from conditioning that happens during schooling. Um, you know, everything is referenced from somebody else. Everybody's looking for what someone else said to make what they're trying to say relevant. And so it's, it's tough for those people, I think, to think forward and take what is likely coming down the pipeline in, in mass change. If we're right here and over the next 10 years, storms start accelerating and our cities get hit with huge amounts of water and it gets hotter, everything in between. We're going to need the individuals in that city to sort of think differently about what we can do to make change happen within the cities themselves. So I think mindset is a big part of it. And if we can get engineers, architects, city councillors, people in power to sort of think a little bit differently about the change that needs to come, I, I think that we can get on the right path to making things happen. Yeah, it's it's a, such a huge challenge, but I guess at least mapping out some of the opportunities and painting positive pictures of how they might be achieved is certainly going to help. In past conversations, Taylor, you and I have talked about future opportunities for machine learning, big data, and artificial intelligence, how they might play a role in leveraging our ability to cope with climate change. Where does this fit into your own business model? How do you see these things as affecting your business going forward? Yeah. Um, AI is... Or how will you use it going forward? Yeah, I, I think we've kind of witnessed something interesting happen over the last couple of decades where software networks are dematerializing the world in an interesting way where just think of bill gates sitting on top of a mountain of papers stacked in the forest um, representing all the paper that he's taken out of your office in replacement of a cd-rom then you go to the iphone and how it took your video camera your your camera all your photo albums all the papers all your cds dematerialized all these things software networks i think can make a big difference where right now there's something that we're trying to do where the sales process for contractors involves a whole bunch of real life activities and we think that we can use software AI. i don't really want to call it ai just yet because the data is not that big but we're trying to dematerialize real life processes in order to add value for contractors where they can continue to focus on what the customer is actually expecting which is delivering the service effectively so I think by incorporating software into areas that otherwise you typically wouldn't see them, see them coming, um, you can make a big difference. But artificial intelligence, you could do something in, within cities themselves where you, you could place sensors underneath pavement structures, for example, and start to collect a ton of data as water infiltrates through pure pave. Um, you could send that data to the cities themselves, make notifications for them as to when maintenance schedules should be done. A whole bunch of interesting things. Or where flooding is happening. Yeah, the water In volume. real time. Yeah. Exactly. You could have something like uh, Jamie Rutherford's company doing a, an aerial scan over 
over a city and taking note of which areas are likely to flood in the future. And the system could basically provide data to the city as to where an infiltration trench should be placed ahead of time so that if, the, if and when that flood does happen, you already have a preventative measure set up. Uh, by the way, we should uh, put a link to Jamie's stuff. Jamie is a landscape architect who has uh, formed a company to do GIS mapping of um, uh, wetland areas and near rivers and cities uh, with uh, a LIDAR and, and drones. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Just chatted with him the other day. What do you think are the most promising policies, strategies, technologies for helping us reduce our environmental harm? Uh, or the environmental harm we're causing and helping us repair the damage we've already caused? Um, There's just a little question there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's wide open. Okay. So for policies, that we're in an interesting time, Craig, because there's a lot of money printing going on right now. <laughs> Countries have to stimulate the economies as a result of corona lockdowns, which kind of makes the government themselves a capital allocator of taxpayer money here. Yeah. And so they should really think about how to stretch the value of that dollar, in my opinion, uh, for the greater good of everyone, because this money is not coming out of thin air. It's devaluing the currency that everybody has in their bank accounts right now. Um, so really think about how to do that. This becomes, I think, a unique opportunity to stimulate businesses whose success will provide a net return for the economy, which is what they always talk about, but also the environment and social well-being of humans at the same time. Looking for that closed loop and the win-win-win, I think that um, the win-win could be, well, because we're in the middle of it, a policy for cities to subsidize, say, the cost difference of adopting these new technologies that have a positive climate impact. For example, there's policy being discussed right now to have subsidies available for retrofits for homeowners who are thinking of, say, replacing their driveway with asphalt, they could subsidize the cost differential between asphalt and a permeable surface like pure pave. And the reason they're doing that is not to just stimulate business, but because the cost of putting in storm sewer infrastructure is like 10 times higher. Exactly. It's saving them money. It's, it's, it's stretching their dollar out. Yes, yes. It's stretching their dollar and it also happens to be great for the climate at the same time, sort of future-proofing our society in a way. So I really like those initiatives. So they seem to have worked as well with energy in the past, sealing up people's windows and stuff like this for energy evaluations. So it's, it's not brand new. They have been doing this and it has been successful. So I think these kinds of initiatives can make a big difference. Then you said technologies. I think that the blockchain has a lot to offer in the coming decade. I was hoping you'd get onto this. We've had conversations about blockchain yeah. and cryptocurrency many times before. Yeah, I, I really see the tokenization of real world things becoming quite interesting in the future. There's a lot that could be done there. Um, you could, for example, and this is a little out there, but you could, in theory, add a secondary layer of climate commerce into the existing economy, for example. What that would mean is you could attach, say, a net positive and net negative carbon value to almost everything. So if you wanted to buy a jet, it costs money right now, but it could also cost you, say, some climate tokens. Where do I get my climate tokens to buy a jet? 
Well, you buy them from climate token farms, or you earn them yourself by doing carbon positive activities. So right now there's sensor technology that can monitor trees being planted for individuals working within farms that uh, awards, say, the, the individual working in the farm real dollars in exchange for their work and time planting trees. That's a, a climate positive activity. However, the farm itself has now effectively mined these climate tokens and can list them for sale on an exchange. Ah. So as long as there's smart contracts, pre-coded scenarios where governments or whomever the controlling engineer would be of the system have, have gotten together and they've placed carbon values on everything so that you know what climate token value to charge in conjunction with the dollar cost of, of, of something you've you've kind of created a system where you've, you've closed a loop. And, and, and it's all accounted for by blockchain. Right. Yeah, it's all right. open and transparent and anyone and everyone can verify the transactions. And what you're ultimately doing is incentivizing climate positive action and helping people who are less fortunate, who may not have another job, get rewarded economically for taking climate positive actions. Yeah, and as you you start to see some of the impacts of climate change kick in, the tokens available and the cost and so forth could be adjusted accordingly. Like you could make it quite a an incentive um, package. Yeah, and I, I like that idea because it kind of takes the capital allocation away from the government. Like uh, they would no longer have to decide with such accuracy as to how to map out the the perfect way to spend money through people's taxes. They set out the rules. Yeah. What, what qualifies you, as getting a token. Exactly. Yeah. You just have them yeah. set out the rules and then the free market evolves and th hopefully great things will happen. Who are some of the thinkers on sustainability and conscious capitalism who you most admire? Why? Oh, um, I think the obvious one is Elon Musk. Uh, you know, thinking of how he would have started Tesla, he really understood from the beginning that solving climate change problems is going to require a whole myriad of, of solutions. It's not just going to be make one electric car, whole thing works, you know? So the way that he's engineered the entire Tesla ecosystem is truly remarkable to me, how he thought of it all from way back then. Um, people think of Tesla, for example, as a car company. Tesla is an energy company. It's an AI and software company. It's a manufacturing company, a computer chip company, etc. It goes on. But no one gets excited about that. What they get excited about was the most brilliant thing he did was, until that time, energy efficient cars, or even more so electric cars, were sort of nerdy, not very good looking, the sort of performance really wasn't all that great. You know, maybe they had a wee bit of acceleration and might be able to get you on a highway. All of a sudden, Tesla comes and it's like, this is sexier than a Porsche. Like, <laughs> wow. Like, and, and, and I think the, <laughs> the thing that was best about it was at some point, I think it had a, had a switch in terms of how fast you could accelerate the torque. Oh, God, yeah. Called insane. Insane mode, baby. Right? And you switch to insane, <laughs> right? And you hit the, hit the accelerator and you're like throwing back through the, through the back seat, right? Right. Like that's, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that were people like, 
they don't care about energy efficiency or, or environment. They just want that cool piece of silver bling. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, <laughs> it's sort of like, that was what made it popular, but it also was the Trojan horse that then allowed batteries to be evolved. Because if there's no demand for those, there's no demand for batteries. If there's no demand for batteries, there's no demand for making batteries more efficient. And so then all of a sudden, batteries pop up as these Tesla power packs and houses. Right. Same battery system, right? And now, now you can peak shave. And it's not because you're environmental. It's because you can peak shave and save money. And then all of a sudden, shingles. Like, you're right. It's a, it was, it's a wonderful ecosystem. It's so smart. Yeah, it's, it's so fascinating. And you're not going to get the individual's attention in the marketplace without either impressing them, like you said, with the experience of driving the car being basically a purple cow, completely different from any other experience you can have, or having it be stunningly beautiful. And um, that's how you stole the words out of my mouth. That's the Trojan horse for the mission of helping to accelerate the adoption of sustainable technologies and energy systems. By the way, I understand you've ordered like three of their trucks. As soon as you have one, I want to ride in it. Oh, hell yeah. It <laughs> looks so cool. We got those boxy cyber trucks on pre-order. <laughs> I know. They're, they're so awesome. <laughs> so I, the obvious answer, Elon Musk, but the I think the, the less obvious answer who I'm, I'm just impressed with lately is the CEO of Shopify, Toby Luque. He has... Oh, he's another really cool guy. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. So smart. Super smart. And they have a big initiative to fund carbon. Um, they're looking at carbon sequestering technologies and stuff like this and planting trillions of trees. You know, they're, they're really dedicating a good amount of resources towards doing something about climate change as well. And I just think that's really impressive coming from a software company. I think more software companies should step up and allocate some of their resources to doing the same. And so I think he's leading the way and it's, it's really impressive. Yeah. And, and it's sort of funny. It, it harks back to where he started, which is in nature surfing, right? Or, or boarding. Was it boarding? He was snowboarding. I was surfing. <laughs> snowboarding. Yeah. 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 He was trying to sell more snowboards and um, yeah. rather than, you know, buy somebody else's solution. They created their own. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the 21st Century Imperative Podcast. We've certainly enjoyed producing it. As you know, 21st Century is a not-for-profit venture, but we still have production costs. So to help cover these costs, we've launched a new online store with all proceeds going to cover production. And we have some great products for you. We have organic fair trade t-shirts and hoodies as well as non-toxic BPA-free coffee containers, all with great graphics. So if you like the podcast, please think about helping us out by buying a t-shirt, hoodie, or mug for you and one for each of your friends. Head over to our website at tfcipodcast.com and click on the 21st Century Store button. So generalizing from your own experience, what do you think are the biggest challenges and barriers to coming to grips with how to meet the realities of climate change and the necessity to not only reduce our emissions, but also adapt to the impacts of climate change? What do you, what do you think we, what our big challenges and barriers are? What are we going to do? <sighs> big challenges and barriers, it feels to me like everybody sort of brushes it off as something that's so far into the future that it's not something I need to be concerned with right now, or that's the government's problem, or let the city figure that out. 
And so I think that really the way to do it is to recruit the help of market forces and businesses to give them an outlet to take the work away from them having to figure out how they can do something about it and basically create a platform for them to just plug right into and make it a seamless transition so that they can contribute in a small way they can contribute in a big way we just have to lay out the options that fit their business model for them what about opportunities for adapting to climate change the impacts of climate change itself well the op- certainly what you what you make is one of them yeah yeah like this is we're in such a unique time where technology is accelerating at an insane pace <laughs> you know you can you can barely turn on the jump on the internet without seeing a new discovery or or an incredible technological advancement so i think that while we have an economic issue uh, as a result of money printing and, and corona and climate change on the horizon these next 10 years are going to be critically important and technology i feel like is on our side here so the opportunity is for businesses and individuals to just pay attention. I think that by paying attention to technologies that can be applied to improving the sustainability of cities or the country or your own home can help us get a little bit closer as individuals, but much closer overall as a network of human beings coexisting. Yeah, and and I think one of the really interesting things that was in the press a few months ago that we both talked about was the um, article reported in the journal Science about the Thomas Crowther Lab at ETH Zurich saying that they had done a calculation, the grad students had done a calculation, that the capacity of the planet for planting trees to reduce CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere was somewhere in the order of 1.3 trillion trees. And that was planting them in areas that wasn't farmland, wasn't existing forest, wasn't human habitation. So that's huge. And, and trees are probably one of the only machines we have to take CO2 out of the atmosphere um, once it's there. Yeah. Any thoughts about how we might leverage that, what, what we might do to move that forward? Yeah, I think the tokenization of tree planting, <laughs> again, could be really cool. Oh, that you talked about earlier. Yeah, I, I think that could work. In fact, I think somebody has already put up the technical infrastructure to make that possible. So that could be something that's really interesting. And I think pairing a tokenized economy for tree planting with an actual real-life tree planting technology, like these new drones that are coming out, there are companies that have created drones that are capable of planting a billion trees a year. So how do we scale that? Well, if you make all the other businesses that are generating so much cash, they have insane profit margins or super wealthy who are buying things that are going to do the opposite and pump more carbon back into the air. If you could just sort of tickle them with, hey, uh, want to buy some green tokens while you're at it? You, know, just, you don't have to force them. You don't have to carbon tax them. Just give them the option and a cool platform to do so. I believe that these people will they're looking for an outlet and we just have to create the platforms or uh, human beings have to create the platforms to allow these companies to plug into plug their company into the the climate network if you will the climate software network and we can accelerate this initiative and get 1.3 trillion trees planted i think that's one way that it could be done 
Yeah, and, and you had mentioned to me some time ago that one of the things you wanted to have smart green cities do was actually provide access to those kind of tokens, like and, and maybe even be part of that process, which sounds really exciting. Absolutely. I would love for smart green cities to be involved in the process. Once the business's infrastructure on our end is fully developed and maximized, I think that we'd be capable of incorporating that into our own network in smartgreencities.com. And well, once you do, then then you have to come back on and we'll talk about how that works. Yeah, I think it would be yeah. really cool to see how we can make something out of that. Or, or, or you're at least going to talk about it on your own podcast because you're starting a podcast, aren't you now? I am. This is my first podcast and uh, I'm going to try it out. I, I, I'm kind of missing chatting with people like you all the time, Craig, with the, the Corona time. Um, I love to stimulate my intellectual curiosities with, with people who have great ideas. And I think that that'll be a great outlet. So what we should do, once you have the links for that, then uh, shoot them over to me and we'll put it in the show notes so people can connect. Great idea. So what do you think's missing from the discussion of climate change? Are there any other questions or better questions we should be asking ourselves? Missing from the discussion. Well, yeah, what's missing? I think that sort of taking a, a turn off of climate change per se and thinking along the lines of sustainability, this might be way out of topic in most people's minds, but part of sustainability in my mind is individual prosperity and because I experienced it firsthand going from, I just need to make ends meet to now I want to do something a little extra <laughs> so now I can participate in helping things be better. Um, I think individual prosperity is, is interesting. And if you think about what's happening, there's, there's another ice cube melting right now, other than <laughs> the South and North Pole, Craig. And that being? The, the ice cubes that are melting are your savings accounts. Uh, because your purchasing power yeah. is driving off a cliff right now. It's going down. And if our purchasing power is driving off a cliff yeah. on account of a couple of other humans who meet bi-weekly to figure out how fast to drive it off the cliff every couple of weeks, that's not sustainable. So it's, in my view, going to take all the individuals on this planet longer and longer to get to the point where their minds can now participate in the space of thinking of how to make their cities greener and smarter, thinking of how to live a more sustainable life as an individual, afford the Tesla, you know, um, these transitions cost money, but the mental space does as well. I think that Bitcoin, we've talked about blockchain, Bitcoin, while it sucks up a crazy amount of energy, Craig, don't kill me yet. <laughs> it, it does something else where it is now a permanent incentive for technological advancements in clean energy. Because the way that you mine Bitcoin, if you're a mining rig or whatever it is, you're converting real computational energy, real human capital, real electricity into minting these bitcoins and so i like the fact that there's something out there already that if you're a startup and you want to make a new clean energy system maybe you don't have a customer yet so where do you go like it's it maybe it's difficult maybe you don't have to set up a giant rig 
and harness the power of uh, geothermal technology in the middle of Saskatchewan with hundreds of millions of dollars of capital backing you to get into the clean energy business, you can create a Bitcoin mine with something that is unique, like a methane capture rig that converts methane exhaust from an oil rig into a generator that powers a Bitcoin mine. So there's just interesting things like this, but Bitcoin is a savings. Yeah, go ahead. Why don't you tell listeners when they hear about mining and making calculations, what's going on? What's the logic of that? How does Bitcoin work? Not not the blockchain for the actual value of the coin itself, but right. what is it with all these calculations? Tell people what that means. Well, that's just the proof of work model that computers have to do. They're contributing what's called hash power to the Bitcoin network itself. And this is why no individual owns the network and why everybody supports the network all at once. It's the biggest computer network on planet Earth, and that's why it's so secure. So in order to hack it, you would need to generate a 51% more hash power than what the Bitcoin network currently is producing in order to stand a chance at disrupting it. So the computers that are running are doing something unique where they're transforming human capital, computational energy, and electricity into something of value that is permanently stored in a publicly verifiable blockchain. But also it obeys the laws of thermodynamics in terms of energy storage as your monetary energy, where where you put it right now in your bank account in forms of fiat currency, inflation is sort of melting that ice cube at a rate of what seems to be 2% a month, <laughs> which is going to cut it, cut it by 25% in a year. It's an alarming rate versus Bitcoin, all the energy that goes into it, there's no leakage. In fact, if you happen to jump in when it's onboarding humans across the globe, the opposite effect happens where it can play out in an advantageous way where your savings account starts to earn you money or earn you value in that it's not dropping your purchasing power into the bucket. It's loading it onto a possible technological rocket ship that is a newly <laughs> engineered monetary system that um, can really, I think, help change the world. This sounds like something that you're going to have to follow through on your podcast with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't hours know. worth more of conversation. I don't want to hijack our sustainability chat. With no, no, it's good. No, but it's very exciting. Which leads me to the next question. Who is missing from the discussion? Are there people who should be playing more important roles that are currently not participating? Are there people we should be listening to that we're not paying attention to? Who needs a seat at the table that doesn't have one? Oh, yeah. Like everyone who in today's world is interested in technology is, I think, interested in sustainability and improving our environment in a ways that they just don't see yet because they don't have the, that lens by which to view the problem. Or I guess what I'm trying to say is that I would like to personally chat with a whole bunch of other people who I know personally who run fantastic technology companies, software companies, engineering companies. I, I would like to chat with them and sort of see where they align, what they think that they could be doing and just steer their mind into a different direction to focus a little bit on sustainability. Because I think that in this crazy busy world where everything is evolving so much, most things are digital. People are sort of steering away from the focus of this problem and really just adapting to 
the new realities of not even being allowed to go to the grocery store or whatever it is. So I don't have anybody specific in mind, but I do have specifically a bunch of guests lined up for my podcast. Yeah, I, I think that's a way of expanding on on the answer to that question, which would be very interesting. And I think one of the other things that we've made an assumption through this conversation is that there's a, such a thing as progress and we're moving towards it or could be moving progress. But I think most people who care deeply about our planet and implicitly believe in it, uh, otherwise why bother? What do you think about the idea of progress and, and the idea that we can make a positive difference in the world? Because yeah. I know it's been under attack lately. If you look south of the border at the complete political disaster that's been unfolding over the last few years, and no one thought it could get as worse as it has in the last week. Oh, yeah. This, this week is just the week before the inauguration as we record this. Um, what do you think about progress? Progress is fundamentally what gets me excited every day. It's I measure progress in every possible way that I can. It's incredibly exciting to do a little better on anything, no matter how small it is, whether it's like tracking my sleep on an app or <laughs> exercising, um, recalling certain ideas, whatever it may be. Progress in, in general is fun. But um, there's a new term, progressive, in the political realm. You brought up politics where it seems to be doing the opposite of its name where you've got people sort of pinned against one another, nitpicking terminologies, changing definitions. To me, this is well-intended, but sort of a little bit misguided in that it's, it's keeping people nitpicking at one another instead of being capable of harnessing that intellectual energy and focusing it in a positive direction. And I certainly hope that there can be sort of a turnaround with these ideologies where it almost to me seems programmed to turn people against each other. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope that we can see the opposite happen where a new type of program helps people come together in the exact same manner, but just with a completely different result. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to have to, my, my, the thing that has surprised me the most in the past few years is I grew up believing that the notion of science, rationality, logic was at the core of everything. All decision-making should be around that. And uh, although as, as you get older, you realize that, you know, human emotion uh, tempers it and tampers with it. In the last few years, you've, you can see things that are actually going right in the opposite direction. So I, I think that's certainly a challenge we're going to have to to face. Yeah. Um, and I guess that leads me to one of our final questions, and, and that is, can we do it? What do you, what do you think? Are we going to be able to get our act together as a species to really deal with these problems, these climate change problems? What gives you hope? What keeps you going when things look dark? Yes, definitely. We're going to be able to do it, 100%. <laughs> I'm not living in the world where we can't do it. There's absolutely no way. Even though it seems like the problem is stacked quite high, I, I'm, I remain so excited with all the new technologies uh, that are being developed with the increasing adoption of human networks that are coming together in remarkable ways where we start to operate almost as like a beehive. Right now, it seems like a, a negative way with Facebook and stuff like this, but 
um, there's a lot of smaller versions of it happening in really positive ways. And I think that's where we're going to see this pendulum swing back in the other direction. People are going to feel how, how crappy this whole experience is and start seeking out different types of networks to create these positive change um, that have a sort of a synchronous relationship with new technologies. And I really am one of these people who envisions the solar punk world where we've got sort of a, a technological environmental utopia and we're all existing in this world where, you know, we're surfing and we have cool tech going at the same time. The entire continent is a closed loop energy system. There's no leakage. Everything's great. So this really gives me hope in conjunction with focusing on myself it sounds selfish but nobody ever changed for the better when they were kind of falling apart as a person by focusing on how awful everything is so one of my strategies when i personally get down or, or things start going in a shitty direction is i will i have a written on my board right behind me there it says focus on your brain <laughs> and what I mean is just pay attention to the actual hardware that's powering our whole experience. Just eat all the foods that you know are good for it. Mm -hmm. Drink lots of water. Make sure you're getting enough sleep. Meditate, exercise. Do all these things that otherwise would seem selfish because the net effect of this is going to enable you to be able to do something awesome in the future. And be the best person you can be. Be the best person you can be for you and your whole community your family and everyone in between. So that's a nice segue into the next question, which is what advice would you offer listeners about what they can do to be part of making a difference and meeting the challenges of the 21st century imperative and maintaining hope? Yeah. Um, well, Other than drinking water. Drink some water. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> Eight cups a day. <laughs> um, I think paying attention to, so if they're listening to this podcast, they're already winning, but our goal is to kind of again, create something cool that everyone else is going to plug into. Maybe they, they just aren't going to listen to your podcast, but the listeners can point them into the direction of a platform or something to plug into where they can, instead of buying something that maybe costs 400 bucks, they can buy something that's 450 that makes a, a difference just in their home. Um, so we can hopefully put, nudge people in the direction of hey, if you're a contractor, you can make big change in the world because you're the ones that actually move stuff in the real world. And we that is still critically important. So please align yourself with what's possible now because things are changing. And we actually have a platform in Clever Build and Smart Green Cities and PeerPave Technologies that can do this. And, and that's why, Craig, that's why I feel like I'm so well aligned with what I was put on this earth to do. And it's what makes me feel great every day. And that's what I would hope that everyone else can feel a little bit of as well. That's cool. That's very cool. Thank you. Finally, I'd like to ask you three rapid fire questions to wrap up the interview. It's a nice way to finish off. The first question is, what books related to these issues do you most often recommend or gift to other people? Mm. Well, my most gifted book this year is uh, The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. That is one of the best books I've ever read in my life. It's 
nothing too, too new for me because Naval is a character who I have been studying for about six years since I first heard him on the Tim Ferriss podcast. If you are at all engaged in this conversation and feel like you've got something cool out of it, go look up Naval, um, listen to him on podcasts, read this book, read his blog. You will find guaranteed the highest return on intellectual investment of your time. We'll put, we'll uh, put the link. All these books, we'll put the link in. Yeah. So that's a great one. Um, Shoe Dog, actually recommended by Craig Applegath, was <laughs> the most fun book I've ever read because it made me feel good about myself for all the challenges that Phil Knight encountered developing Nike. Oh, my God. Well, well as I read it, I thought, oh, it, it's just like Taylor. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, he had he had himself some troubles to go through. So it, it that was an amazing book. It felt like a movie. And um, another one is How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. That is a really cool book. <laughs> and I say that because it will literally blow your mind if you follow its instruction. <laughs> yeah. no, but um, it can it can open your, your mind to a, a new lens by which you can view the world and consequently help you stumble upon all sorts of cool new ideas. Yeah, Michael talks about psychedelics and their history and their impact. And he even... Um, decides without telling his editors in advance to try each of the psychedelic drugs he's he's heard about and researched and then his own story about it which is really exciting anyway very very cool yeah if you if if you want to personally experience where conscious capitalism can come from yeah we we could have a look we could talk for an hour about that but both of us that it's a brilliant we definitely could yeah the second question if you had the power to implement one change one innovation or one policy in cities around the world that would have the effect of significantly reducing CO2 emissions or helping cities adapt to climate change, what would it be and why? Um, I think that first you could do something like creating a bonus pool for entrepreneurs and putting a timeline associated with it to and creating a new rule where at the strike of midnight on whatever time frame you have a whole bunch of companies rushing to innovate in the space of clean energy. Right now, there's geothermal breakthroughs in Saskatchewan that look really cool. Um, that's just one example. But I, th- I feel like if you put up some sort of, like uh, in the software world, it's, like, it's like a competition? Yeah, like a competition. Like an X prize? Yeah, they call it a hack day. Um, yeah. You could put up a prize of some sort, and then all of a sudden you've got maybe oil companies or software companies or people with tons of money all jumping in and looking to participate in this competition. So I, I think it just has to do with incentives and aligning with the ultimate outcome that you want. And that might be a great way to do it. I think that Smart Green Cities should sponsor Hack Day sometime. I think that's the goal. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it wouldn't cost much. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Okay. That's cool. That is a really, really good idea. I think that's neat. Third question. If you could publish a full page spread in the Sunday New York Times or Globe and Mail uh, of anything you wanted, written or graphic, what would it be? Um, I think like I just... Or you could do the online version too. (laughs) Yeah, I would go somewhere with um, like the headline being something silly like happiness is peace in motion and then having the article lead into... 
what that means and sort of just getting people to calm down with the information input output just tone it down a little bit because that's the space where your mind becomes a little more free and free to do new things and so i would hope to be capable of producing a spread that would be somewhat able to do that um, I'm not sure of the whole content, but I feel that's the direction that I would go in and I would have it tie into main points of this conversation, how to align all the humans with the ultimate goal of coexisting peacefully on a beautiful rock flying through space at a billion miles an hour and, um, recognizing the beauty in that concept. That's very cool. So closing question is there anything you would like to ask of our listeners? Um, ask of them? Yeah. What should they do? What can they, what would you ask them to do? Uh, I would, I think I would ask them to search for cool things that are going to have a net positive benefit. Search for cool things being technologies and systems and platforms and how they tie together to not only create one benefit, but a multitude of benefits that uh, create a closed loop of something that overall is going to help stimulate change in the positive manner. And um, the way that you can do that is just by jumping on the internet because it's free, but use your intellectual curiosities, follow them, save links, keep them open on your browser and eliminate ones that suck after a while. Um, <laughs> how to describe being more curious, <laughs> Craig, you know, it's like, um, this is a really exciting space. And so I, I, I hope that people can sort of feel the excitement that you and I have with it and, and run with that. That's great. And, and speaking about links, uh, what are the links people can reach you at, um, your LinkedIn or Facebook or anything else that you want them to have to connect with? Yeah. yeah. Today, if you're a contractor or you know a contractor, please send them to cleverbuild.io. We're taking names right now. Um, you can sign up and have first dibs on a platform that's going to help um, automate a bunch of processes that are otherwise full of friction for your contractor. Um, we promise they're going to make more money as a result, and they're going to contribute to the green economy as well at the same time. Uh, so send contractors there. You yourself can go to smartgreencities.com. The cities is plural. We're doing this to more than one city. Um, <laughs> go there. If you want to learn, if you want to plug in and see a whole list of companies that are on this train as well, go there. You can shop for products and check out services that are going to have a net positive effect on the climate. Um, smartgreencities.com, put in your email, cleverbuild.io for contractors, put in your email, purepave.com. If you want to just check out our company and what we're doing there. And if you want to find me personally, I'm on Twitter, TD, my initials, Taylor Davis, TD on fire. Um, likewise, my LinkedIn, Taylor Davis 613. Um, where else can you find me? Instagram. I have like 200 followers. I'm not in the, <laughs> I'm not in the audience building phase yet. This is my first podcast. We'll take it from here. <laughs> That's great. 
Okay. Well, thank you very much, Taylor. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Thank you for everything, Craig. Really. It's uh, that my, my whole life has changed since I met you and that's, that's for real. Thanks very much. And I'm really looking forward to hearing the first episode of your podcast. When's, when's that coming out? <laughs> Me too. Uh, I wonder who the first guest would be. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, goodness. I have a feeling I know who it is going to be. Anyway. Uh, okay. This is very exciting. And um, thanks again. Yeah. Thank you, Craig. Cheers. You can find links to more information about this podcast and to notes about the books and references we've discussed at tfcipodcast.com. And if you like the podcast, please let us know by rating it on the Apple iTunes podcast website and by sponsoring the podcast on our Patreon sponsor page at patreon.com forward slash tfcipodcast. This podcast is ad-free and relies entirely on listener support from people like you. So... If you find our podcast interesting and valuable, please consider becoming a patron. Your sponsorship will not only help us cover the cost of production, but we will also be spending 50 cents of every sponsorship dollar to plant trees. To do this, we have formed a partnership with Community Forest International, who will not only be planting seedlings for you, but taking care of them to make sure they continue to grow and absorb carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. So please head over to the Patreon page and become a sponsor. Until next time, thanks for listening.